This is only the beginning. Exclusive interview with Rabbi Yossi Groner. Rabbi Yossi Groner, head shliach to the Carolinas and son of Rabbi Label Groner, the Rebbe's longtime mazgir, shares memories of 770 and of the early years of his shlichus. Early Childhood My earliest distinct memory of the Rebbe is from my upsharnish in Tavshin Yotess. My parents brought me and my twin brother Menachem Mendel to the Rebbe's room. It seemed to me that it was late at night, and I believe it was a night of Yechidus. With a serious expression, the Rebbe pulled out a pair of scissors from his desk drawer, cut a little piece of my hair, and then handed me a silver dollar. He then did the same for my brother. The next special memory that stands out in my mind is from Simchas Torah, Tavshin Chavdalid. I was almost eight years old, and at the beginning of Hakafas, I was standing on the top of the bleachers to the Rebbe's left. But after some time, I jumped down from my place and joined my father, who was standing next to the Rebbe's shtender, and I was able to see the Rebbe's face throughout Hakafas. It was a very special experience. Seeing the Rebbe's unbridled simcha as he pointed to all four directions while singing Uferatzda and the extreme hand motions he made during Harav Levi Yitzchak's nigin is indescribable. Later that night, after the Sudas Yamtiv in the Friedrich Rebbe's apartment, the Rebbe came downstairs, distributed l'chaim to those who accepted upon themselves to learn more chassidus during the coming year. He then taught two negunim, Hua Likenu, and the slow Kianu Amecha. It was a little after 7 a.m. when the Rebbe left 770 to go home. It was cold outside, and the Chassidim gathered outside in front of 770 were singing the final stanza of Hu Elikeinu. I positioned myself inside the front corridor, right near the front door of 770, and was the only person near the door. When the Rebbe came out of his room and walked towards the front door of 770, he stopped right in front of me and started to wave his hands to the tune the Chassidim were singing outside the open door, while looking straight at me with a big smile. I started jumping up and down, singing together with them. This is just one example of the special attention that Rebbe gave us children in those early years. Crown Heights at the time was a very diverse Jewish neighborhood. We knew that the Rebbe is the essence of Kedusha and the epicenter of our lives was 770. We spent as much time as possible there and loved hanging around the Bachar. It was common in those days to see the Rebbe walking from his home to 770 and back. Although there was a rotation of Bachrim who would walk several paces behind the Rebbe at night, during the day the Rebbe walked alone from his home to 770 and to visit his mother, Rebbe Tzinchana. At times, non-Lubavitchers would approach the Rebbe and start conversations. One afternoon, the Rebbetzin called the Maskiris office with a message for the Rebbe, and my father said that the Rebbe was not yet in 770. She expressed concern because the Rebbe had left the house a while back. So my father ran out of 770, and he saw the Rebbe speaking with a certain individual on Brooklyn Avenue. He politely but firmly told him that the Rebbe is very busy, and he should schedule an appointment for Yechidis at the Mazkiros office. One peculiar story about the Rebbe walking in Crown Heights. There was a small Belzer Stiebel on Eastern Parkway between Brooklyn Avenue and New York Avenue. One afternoon, 
They were missing a tenth for a minion. And a fellow who was not from the neighborhood and had never seen the Rebbe before offered to find a tent there on the street. Standing on the corner of Brooklyn Avenue and Eastern Parkway, he saw the Rebbe walking towards the corner and asked if he could help them with the minion in the shtibel. When my father noticed that the Rebbe was delayed in returning to 770, he ran towards the corner and asked a child riding a bicycle if he had seen the Rebbe, and the child directed him to the Belzer Stibel. Upon entering, he saw the Rebbe standing near the bookshelf looking into a safer as the rest of the minion davened. The Rebbe motioned to my father to remain and then left. Learning in Ali Teira, our bus driver was Reb Yankel Holtzman. He would sing Nigunim with us during the ride. One day, as he turned into the service lane of Eastern Parkway, we all saw the Rebbe walking towards 770. We were singing a Freilechech Siddishanigin with the bus windows wide open, and the Rebbe waved his hands in encouragement to the Nigin with a big smile. Reb Yankel stopped the bus, jumped into the middle of the bus, and we all started dancing. From a very young age, we were at Fabrengen's. As children, we mainly participated in the Nigunim and focused on the exciting things that happened at the Fabrengen, such as when the Rebbe stood up to dance and other special events like that. When we were 10 years old, my brother and I made a hachlata to remain for every Fabrengen from beginning to end. It was not easy, and it was obviously difficult to follow the Sikhis and Mamarim, but we encouraged each other. Every Sunday, our Malamid would start class by asking the students to repeat something we had heard at the Rebbe's Fabrengen, and everyone had a chance to stand up and share something. This trained us to listen as best as we could and try to learn directly from the Rebbe. Maskir's Children we were well aware of the great merit our father had to serve the Rebbe as a mazkir, and felt a responsibility as his children as well. We barely saw our father throughout the week. Some evenings he would come home briefly between 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock p.m. and then rush back to 770, returning home very late at night, often at 1 o'clock a.m. He then did much of his work associated with Oitzer Achsidim, preparing Sifri Chassidus for publication, since it was difficult to do this work during regular office hours. Early in the morning, he would serve us breakfast and leave immediately. We saw him most on Shabbos. During the Sodis, he would read and explain a letter of the Rebbe, and he often shared a fresh story of the Rebbe, which were usually amazing miracles, while obviously omitting any identifying details. Discretion was ingrained in us from very early on. Although my father never shared what he saw and heard by the Rebbe, it was inevitable that we would see or overhear something that was considered privileged information. For example, writing a letter to the Rebbe from Russia was extremely dangerous, so Chassidim would send their letters to relatives living in New York who then brought them to 770. Another option was to send the letters to our home, addressed to Zayda. Whenever we saw the Russian envelopes addressed to Zayda, we immediately put them in a designated spot in our home, without ever speaking about it to anyone, and my father would then bring them to the Rebbe. The fact that our father was a Mazkir did not mean we had extra privileges. 
We had to arrange our own places at Fabringen's and all other occasions, just like the rest of the kids in Bachem. My father never wanted us to stand out as privileged children. Our classmates would have Yechidus with their families at least once a year on their father's birthdays. But I did not have Yechidus from my Upshanish until Bar Mitzvah, after which I married it to the annual Yechidus on my birthday, like the rest of the Bachem. Nevertheless, there were some special things we were able to observe that others were unable to. For example, on Cholamoyed we davened in 770 and followed our father as he followed the Rebbe back to his room. Waiting on the steps in Gan Eden HaTachtin, we were able to catch a glimpse of what was happening inside as my father walked in and out. The Rebbe was sitting at the side of his desk learning every single time. This made a very big impression on me. The Rebbe always inquired about our family and wanted to know everything about each one of us. I know this from reading my father's diaries now, and we also knew about this at the time in several ways. An interesting gesture the Rebbe once made to my parents was in Tavshin Lamed Hay when my brother and I were sent on shlichas to the yeshiva in Kfar Chabad. Every Lubavitcher Bachar's dream was to learn by the Rebbe, and the Hanholes of the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael, Brunois, and Montreal expressed to the Rebbe that if all the Bachar would all flock to New York, they could shut down their yeshivas. In Elul of Tavshin Lamed Dalid, the Rebbe announced that in order to allow Bachem from out-of-town yeshivas to experience learning near the Rebbe's Dalit Amis, groups of Bachem from New York would be sent as shluchim to out-of-town yeshivas to keep them going. The largest group was sent to Eretz Yisrael, to Yeshivas Teiras Emes in Yerushalayim, and to the yeshiva in Kfar Chabad. When we arrived, a group photo was taken of us and sent to the Rebbe. Upon receiving the photo, the Rebbe handed it to my father to give it to my mother so that she should have a photo of her children at home. An energy jolt. Although we saw the Rebbe often, we never took it for granted. Seeing the Rebbe was always an uplifting experience. Observing the Rebbe during a tefillah, hearing a sicha or mimer, getting a nod of l'chaim from the Rebbe out of Fabrengen, and especially going into Yechidus were all life-changing experiences. It was noticeable when a bacher was preparing for Yechidus. For months beforehand, his entire behavior, his davening and learning, and even just the way he spoke, was entirely different. All those encounters were expected, and one typically prepared for them. But when you had an unexpected interaction with the Rebbe, this caused a real shake-up to the system. I'll share with you three such experiences I merited to have. After the terrifying events of Shemini Atzeres, Tavshin Lamed Ches, the Rebbe did not daven in the main shul downstairs for many months. Even after Eshchidosh Kislev, when the Rebbe returned somewhat to the regular routine, he davened in the upstairs zal for all Shabbos Tfilis, in addition to joining the Bachram's minion on Monday and Thursday for Kriya Satera. On Friday night, there was a Seder Chesidus until 8.30 p.m., and the Rebbe would daven with the Bacharim then. On Shabbos morning, the minion for Shachris was exclusively for Balabatim, and there was a rotation system to determine who would attend. On Erev Pesach, the Rebbe gave my father many instructions regarding Pesach, and one of them was that he would start davening with the main minion downstairs on Yom Tov morning. 
My father was to notify the Rebbe when the minion was up to Chazar Sashatz, and the Rebbe would then join the minion for Halo. That night, as we were walking home for the Seder, my father said he was very worried because for some reason, he was under the impression that the Rebbe was unsure if my father properly understood all the instructions regarding the next morning's Shachris. Why don't you tell the Rebbe that you understood the instructions clearly? I innocently asked. My father looked at me in complete shock. You never initiate a conversation with the Rebbe, he said. I found it amazing that despite the fact that he worked in such proximity to the Rebbe for close to 30 years, he still had a total bittle for the Rebbe and would never initiate a conversation on his own. In general, I observed that every time my father walked into the Rebbe's room, he would first pause, straighten his kapata, hat, and beard, and only then enter. There was always an aura of reverence, formality, and awe whenever he was in the Rebbe's presence. He often said that although he observed the Rebbe so frequently, he never felt at ease or felt that he grasped the Rebbe in any way. Serving the Rebbe is to serve true Malchus, and one felt it all the time. My father always told me that the closer one gets to the Rebbe, the more they realize how little they know of the greatness of the Rebbe. Now back to the story of Pesach Tashin Lamed Ches. The next morning, many members of Anash, who usually davened in Minyanim that took place in other parts of 770 and from many other shoals, joined the downstairs Minyan since it was the first time that ever was davening downstairs since Shmini Atzeres. The shul was packed from wall to wall, and no one was anywhere else in 770, even the Mazkirim. I was not davening with the Minyan, and when my Chavrusa approached me to discuss something, I suggested we move our conversation upstairs. Speaking in the hallway near the Zal, we suddenly heard the door to get Eden Hatachten open, and I saw the Bacher standing in the front entrance of 770 become pale and run out the front door. Instinctively, I ran to the entrance and saw the Rebbe wearing a talis, holding the door of Gan Eden Hatachten open with one hand. The Rebbe asked me if I knew where the minion downstairs was up to. I said that when I was downstairs, they were up to Yishtabach. The Rebbe thought for a moment and said, No, be sure I'm notified when they are up to Chazar's Hashatz. I answered, Yes. Whenever I observed my father receiving an instruction from the Rebbe, he always simply answered, Yes, so I did the same. The Rebbe said, Thank you, and walked back into his room. I ran downstairs as fast as I could and told my father what had just transpired, and he said, You see why I was concerned? That brief interaction with the Rebbe shook me to my core, and I could not sleep for three nights straight. It was completely unexpected, and being alone with the Rebbe as the Rebbe gazed at me like that was just so overwhelming and gave me an unbelievable adrenaline boost. Two years later, on Achen Shal Pesach after Shachris, I was in the front entranceway of 770, conversing with Rabbi El Khan and several others. Suddenly, the Rebbe appeared in the doorway of Gan Eden Hatachten. An immediate hush fell over the room, and everyone moved to the side. I approached the Rebbe, and the Rebbe asked me if my father was in the area. I said I would find him immediately, and the Rebbe said thank you, and returned to his room. Although it was not as dramatic as the previous encounter, it was definitely unexpected and made a deep impression on me.
The next story happened many years later, when I was already on Shlichus in Charlotte for 12 years. It was during Tishrei of Tashinun Beis. I was experiencing a very difficult financial crisis that needed to be resolved and felt I needed to be by the Rebbe for Simchas Torah. I made arrangements for the other Shluchim in town to fill in for me for Yamtiv, and I drove to New York on the night of Hishana Rabba with two of my children. I received Lekach wrapped in a plastic bag with a dollar bill from the Rebbe the next day, and the Rebbe called me back and gave me another piece of Lekach, saying, Thus is far the hachava in gelt, by dear. This is a bracha that you should have financial abundance. I was shocked to hear this, because I had not written to the Rebbe about the problem. And when I asked my father later if he mentioned anything to the Rebbe about it, he said he had not. The Rebbe's revealed Ruach HaKedesh, an unsolicited bracha, already gave me much encouragement. For Hakafas, my brother Aaron managed to arrange a spot for me right next to him, which was very close to the Rebbe's place. I had lost my original spot when I went on Shlichas. Simchas Teir night, the Rebbe pointed to me and said to my father with a big smile, I believe he is your relative. Make sure he says L'chaim. I approached the Rebbe with a cup of L'chaim and asked for a bracha. And as the minig is on Simchas Teira, I gave a bracha to the Rebbe, to which he answered a very loud Amen. By now, I was sufficiently confident that everything would work out. And sure enough, the next day, a friend of mine who was aware of my problem arranged a large donation from one of the Lubavitcher Gvirim that would help avert the looming crisis. The next morning, I wrote a letter thanking the Rebbe for the brachas and described the significant donation that had been arranged for Chabad of Charlotte. Within a short while, the Rebbe responded, Azkir al I needed to drive for 10 hours that day back to Charlotte, and I was exhausted because no one ever slept during the three days of Hishan Rabba, Shemini Atzeres, and Simchas Teira by the Rebbe. I planned on leaving early, but Remeyer Harlig encouraged me to wait a few more minutes because the Rebbe would be going to the oil and I would be able to see the Rebbe one more time before leaving. I stood near my father's office, which was at the other end of Gan Eden HaTachten, together with a few others, and we were surprised when the Rebbe came out of his room several minutes earlier than expected. We pushed ourselves against the wall to give the Rebbe as much room as possible to reach the stairs towards the driveway, and the Rebbe handed each one of us a coin to give to Tzedakah in the pushka affixed outside the door to my father's office. The Rebbe turned to me and said, I heard that you already received a donation. I was stunned and momentarily speechless, but as the Rebbe turned towards the stairs, I managed to say, the Rebbe's brachis materialized. The Rebbe turned around to face me, and with a penetrating but loving look said, this is only the beginning. The tremendous bracha and complete unexpectedness of the interaction with the Rebbe gave me such an energy jolt, I could have driven to South America with that energy. Shlichus As I mentioned earlier, I was sent on Shlichus as a bacher to the yeshiva in Kfar Chabad for the years Tavshin Lamed Hay and Tavshin Lamed Vav. In the summer of Tavshin Lamed Vav, I needed to return to New York for a while, and during that time, I went on Merkish Shlichus to North Carolina. There was no shliach there at the time, and we started making contacts with communities and individuals throughout the state.
On Purim Tavshin Lamed Vav, we visited many Israeli army bases and did a lot of Mifsoim. I was awed at the tremendous respect the generals and officers had for the Rebbe and how the soldiers so appreciated our visits. And I wrote a seven-page report about the experience to my father. He gave the report to the Rebbe with a cover note that read, Perhaps this report will be a source of nachas to the Rebbe. The Rebbe edited my father's note to read, It is a source of much nachas. For a bacher to receive such a reaction from the Rebbe on a duch of mifzayim was like winning the lottery. Our greatest wish in life was to bring nachas to the Rebbe, and this was the motivating factor in my decision to go on shlichas when the time would come, to bring the Rebbe nachas. During the summer of Tavshin Lamed Zayin, I returned to both Carolinas on Merkish shlichas with a friend and we were very successful. After submitting a detailed duch to the Rebbe about the shlichas, Rabbi Chadikov instructed me to keep up the connection since there was no shliach there. But all my activities needed to be done with the permission of the Hanhala. I visited those states for Hanukkah and Purim, and for Simchas Teira Tavshin Lamitas, I decided to go to North Carolina because I was so traumatized by the events of Shmini Atzeres Tavshin Lamitas that I preferred to be on the Rebbe Shlichas for Yom Tif than to be in 770. I asked the Hanhala for permission, and when I wrote to the Rebbe about my plan, the Rebbe underlined the words about the Hanhala's permission and wrote, Vihei b'hatzlacha Rabbi. Rabbi David Raskin was very impressed, since he rarely saw such an expression on a bucher's note. After my wedding, I suggested to Rabbi Moshe Kotlarski that perhaps it was time to open a branch of Chabad in North Carolina. He consulted with Rabbi Chadikov, who agreed to write a note to the Rebbe about the idea. The Rebbe responded that since there was no kosher mikveh in Charlotte, they should find a couple whose wife no longer needed one, adding in parentheses that it is to avoid giving off the impression that one is permitted to live in a city without a mikveh. Apparently, the shlichas was not for us. The next day, Rabbi Kotlarski came running to me and said that the Rebbe just asked Rabbi Chodikov what is doing with Charlotte. When he responded that they were seeking an older couple to go there on Shlichus, the Rebbe asked, And about building a new mikvah, you didn't think? They were silent, and the Rebbe continued, You should think about it. In consultation with Rabbi Zalman Shimon Dvarkin, it became clear that it would be very difficult to build a mikvah before arriving there. So he determined that as long as we would make it our top priority and build a mikvah within a year or two, it was appropriate for us to move there on Shlichus. Rabbi Kotlarski solicited a generous contribution from Rabbi Yosef Asadaych, and our mikvah was ready within a year. But North Carolina was experiencing a drought at the time. On Yud Tes Kislev we received the permit from the city, and miraculously there was such a rainstorm that the mikvah filled within hours. Generally, I sent a duch to the Rebbe at least once a month, and at times even every two weeks. One of the main motivators for me was the following story. On Shemini Atzeres Tavshin Lamitches, a bed was brought into the Rebbe's room, and even after the Rebbe's health improved, the doctors requested that the bed remain in the room 
so the Rebbe could rest for some time during the day. I asked my father what the Rebbe did during that time, and he said that the Rebbe read the duches from the Shulchim. This was the Rebbe's leisure activity. The Senator One of the earliest supporters of Chabad in North Carolina was State Senator Marshall Rausch, who was rated the second most powerful man in the state. I met him once while I was still a bacher, together with Rabbi Moshe Kotlarski, and he told us that while all of his business ventures were doing quite well, there was one venture he was having trouble with. We advised him to write a letter to the Rebbe asking for a bracha and that he should commit to wearing tefillin every weekday. He followed our advice, and within days his business problem was resolved. In the early Tufshin Mems, the state legislature debated a certain law that if ratified in North Carolina would have national ramifications and negatively impact the Orthodox community in a very strong way. Rabbi Moshe Bogomilski notified me that representatives from Agudas Israel will contact me to encourage me to send telegrams to my state legislators opposing the law, which they did. I called Maskiris and asked to speak with Rabbi Chadikov to be sure that it was the right thing to do. How will you sign the telegram, he asked. You can sign in the name of Lubavitch? I can sign the telegram with Lubavitch of North Carolina, I suggested. The only one who speaks for Lubavitch is the Rebbe, Rabbi Chadikov said decisively, and then continued, You have a good friend who is a senator. Why don't you speak with him? I reached Senator Rausch in his business office, and he was completely unaware of the debate raging about this law. After I filled him in on what was going on, he expressed his opposition to the law and told me he will work things out. This was on a Thursday, and the law was scheduled for a debate on Monday. Senator Rausch arranged several meetings to determine where things were holding, and on Friday, one of the senators introduced a referendum that would not allow the legislature to even debate that law for another 25 years. There was a forced vote, and a slim majority voted in support of the referendum, which was a very big victory. It became a national sensation, and the media reported, mostly in a negative light, that Senator Rausch was responsible for destroying the law on a national level as a result of what he did in North Carolina. On Maitzoy Shabbos, he called me for a Dvartera to include in a speech he was preparing for a Jewish function, and I asked him about how he felt about all the negative national attention he was getting. He said he knew he did the right thing and did not care about all the noise. Rabbi Bogomilski told me afterwards that all the Frum lobbyists in New York heard what had happened behind the scenes and were awed at the fact that the crisis was averted due to the Rebbe Shliach's connection with a powerful state senator through influencing him to wear tefillin and Torah learning. They saw how the Rebbe's reach extended much further and deeper than all of their lobbying efforts. Our job as Shluchim This guidance from Rabbi Chadikov that only the Rebbe speaks on behalf of Lubavitch in all national or global matters stood me in good stead several years later. A prominent member of the Charlotte Jewish community who sat on the national board of a Jewish organization reached out to me about the thorny issue of Mihu Yehudi. 
I told him, I am not a spokesman for Lubavitch, and only the Rebbe can discuss this issue. He wrote a letter to the Rebbe, and an interesting correspondence ensued. I was copied on every letter and was actually enjoying this entire back and forth. Eventually, he offered a suggestion that was not practical and not in the spirit of halacha, and I warned him it would never happen. Sure enough, his idea was rejected, and although the exchange had been very respectful until then, he wrote a very nasty letter to the Rebbe. I received the copy of the letter a day earlier than it would arrive in New York, and when I read it, I became sick from disgust, but mainly terrified that the Rebbe would receive such a horrible letter. I frantically called my father and started screaming that he should intercept the letter before the Rebbe opened it. My father reminded me that he cannot do that because the rule is that all the Rebbe's mail is opened by the Rebbe. And when I realized it was inevitable the Rebbe would see the letter, I felt guilty for indirectly causing it, and I started crying uncontrollably, fasting, and saying to Hillem. The next morning my father called to hear how I was doing, and my wife told him what was going on. Sometime later that morning he called again, and said that when he was in the Rebbe's room, he saw the Rebbe read the letter from North Carolina. When the Rebbe finished reading it, he put it down and asked my father how I was doing, to which he responded that I am sitting on the floor, fasting and saying to Hillen. The Rebbe instructed him to go out of the room and call me immediately to tell me to stop what I was doing. My wife and I decided that we would terminate all contact with this man because he had written such a terrible letter to the Rebbe. But the Rebbe instructed us to forget about the episode and to be mekire of him even more than before. If the topic of Mihu Yehudi came up, we should confidently say that it's not our business and that our job is to encourage Yidin to learn Torah and do mitzvahs and nothing else. For some time afterwards, the Rebbe asked my father about our continued connection with this fellow. And today, his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are all involved with Chabad on various levels, and several of them are even from. A few years later, there was a more public struggle going on in the community about Mihu Yehudi, and I was forced to participate in a public debate on the topic. I wrote a letter to the Rebbe asking for a bracha. An hour before the debate, as I was nervously preparing my remarks for the debate, I got a call from my father. He told me that he was in the Rebbe's room and the Rebbe was writing a response to Rabbi Yaakov Yehuda Hecht on a question he asked regarding Mihu Yehudi. Suddenly the Rebbe put down his pencil and told me that what he is writing now is relevant to my son and proceeded to dictate for 10 minutes exactly what you should say during the debate. The Rebbe told me to call you immediately with this message. I transcribed everything my father said to me in the Rebbe's name, and the debate turned out to be a major success. A few years after Gimel Tammuz, I was faced with a new crisis. There were elements in the community pushing for certain reforms in our school, and a prominent supporter arranged a meeting with other rabbis to apply pressure on us to make changes to our curriculum that were unacceptable to us. The night before the meeting, I was very frustrated and said to my wife that usually in these situations, we would write to the Rebbe. But what can we do now? 
Early the next morning, when I entered my office before the Shachas Minyan, I saw a fax from a friend who works in the Rebbe's library that had been sent in the middle of the night. Here is some background to this fax. There was a non-Jewish man who was a descendant of a certain Lubavitcher family, and he was interested to learn more about his ancestors. Several weeks before receiving this fax, I discussed this Lubavitcher family tree with one of the researchers in the Rebbe's library. He commented that he just read a beautiful letter from the Rebbe to Mr. Kaddish Luz, the speaker of the Israeli Knesset, who was also a descendant of this specific Lubavitcher family, describing the failure of the kibbutz movement. The letter was set to be printed in the new volume of the Rebbe's Igris Kedosh, volume Chaf Gimel, that was being prepared at the time, and he offered to fax me a copy of this letter, but apparently forgot to do so. Out of the blue, this letter appeared in my fax machine. But the amazing thing is that the letter printed right before this one was a response to an educator who was under pressure to change things in his school. The Rebbe encouraged this educator to be strong and firmly resist these changes, providing a powerful explanation that applied to the very topic being discussed at the important meeting I was having that night. Throughout the meeting, I responded to all of their challenges by reciting the Rebbe's letter almost verbatim, and everything worked out in the best possible way. In awe of the open miracle I had just witnessed, I called the researcher and asked him what possessed him to send the letter we had spoken about weeks earlier in the middle of the night. He said to me that in his sleep last night, he felt someone coming to him and saying, you told Yassi Groner you would send him a certain Nigeres, and you didn't send it to him yet. He woke up with a start, and when he went back to sleep, felt the same thing again. So he hurriedly ran to the library in the middle of the night and faxed the letter to me. The previous letter was on the same page, so that letter came in the fax as well. This was a miracle I experienced after Gimel Tammuz which illustrates that our connection to the Rebbe has not changed. The Rebbe continues to care for all of his chassidim the same way he did before Gimel Tamos. Going to the oil is our form of yichidus, and the Rebbe finds a way to guide us in everything. It's important to realize that before Gimel Tamos, when we wrote letters to the Rebbe, we did not always merit to receive answers. One needed to have a special schus to receive an answer then. And the same is true now. Sometimes the Rebbe's answers came in writing, and at times the answer came in other forms. We miss the Rebbe terribly, but the Rebbe is not absent, chas v'shalom. The Rebbe continues to be with us every step of the way, all the time. To feel this, one needs to work hard. Aside from learning chitas and three prakim rambam every day, it is crucial to have a kavias and learning the Rebbe's Torah every day. When I go on long-distance drives, I listen to a recording of the Rebbe's Fabringen, and this gives me the feeling that the Rebbe is with me the entire time. I'd like to conclude with the following thought. In the early years, people had the opportunity to have a private yichidus with the Rebbe, mainly for their Yom Huladas. In Tavshin Lamed Hay, the Rebbe discontinued this, and only visitors and special people were able to have Yechidus, 
And the Rebbe said that the Fabrengen will serve as Yechidus for the rest of us. Sometime later, Yechidus Kulalis started. But then, in Tavshin Memvav, the Rebbe started giving out dollars on Sundays. And later on, even more often, during the week. The Sunday dollars was an unprecedented phenomenon in Lubavitch history. For the first time ever, every man, woman, and child was able to approach the Rebbe to receive a shlichas mitzvah, a bracha, and even the opportunity to say a few words. I think the Rebbe did this in order to empower every single Yid in our generation to be his shliach. He gave each and every one of us tremendous koiches, continues to guide us and care for us every step of the way. And the more we are aware of this, we will succeed in fulfilling our mission in preparing the world for Mashiach.